Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. Rangano Montessori on Wheels is a mobile learning incubator whose mission is to create Montessori-based learning environments within Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities. On this traveling bus, parents, caregivers, early childhood learners, and elementary students co-create enriching educational experiences that provide them with creative space to deepen their sense of independence and curiosity, see the world as their classroom, and learn through active listening, storytelling, and cross-cultural interaction. In this episode, we hear from Tatenda Blessing Maturi, the founder and executive director of Rangano Montessori on Wheels, as he shares the inspiration for and journey of actualizing this project. Tatenda was born in Zimbabwe and discovered his love of Montessori when he moved to China, where he had the opportunity to work with children for seven years before moving to Boulder, Colorado in 2015. Tatenda is passionate about Montessori philosophy and received his American Montessori Society Infant Toddler and Early Childhood Credential through Montessori Education Center of the Rockies. He was privileged to be part of the AMS Emerging Leaders Fellowship Second Cohort in 2018 and Moonshot Adventures Fellowship Fourth Cohort in 2020. He also serves as a board member for Colorado Montessori Association and is currently a Stedman teacher and founder of Montessori on Wheels. Please welcome Tatenda Blessing Maturi. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Elizabeth. And thank you for having me. So I wonder if you tell our listeners a little bit about your work in Montessori and then the new project that's developed. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I love Montessori. So I was introduced to Montessori uh, in 2008, so at the Olympics, when I was visiting in Beijing, China. Uh, so it was just an- another unexpected event. <laughs> <laughs> they seemed to follow me everywhere I go, right? Um, yeah, somebody invited me to audit a Montessori classroom, and I remember just being in awe of the work and uh, uh, just observing children doing work and being independent and uh, teachers almost invisible, mm. uh, yet learning will just happen organically. And yet in that moment, I was also taken back to how I grew up in Zimbabwe. Uh, so it just made sense that those connections happened. And I said to myself, I want this for yeah. myself and I want this for everyone. I wish I'd had this growing up, uh, in a school institution, uh, though I'd had it like just being outside in the way that I, uh, I grew up in Zimbabwe. So that's how I got introduced to Manasari. And I was in Manasari sitting in Beijing for about, um, uh, seven years. Mm-hmm. I moved to the U.S. in 2015, and then I went to the Manasseh Education Center of the Rockies to get my infant and toddler training. Mm-hmm. So I'm trained AMS pet to three. And then because I had fallen in love with it, I went back and I <laughs> took my uh, three to six training. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I also went back to get another uh, undergrad degree in Manasari education, liberal arts focusing on Manasari education through Endicott College. Mm. Um, and I've been working in different Manasari settings uh, in Denver, in Boulder, around um, here in Colorado. So, yeah. Wow. So that's a bit. Wow. That's quite the story. So that goes with your last name, the traveling. 
to be all of those yes. different places. And Endicott College is in Beverly, Massachusetts. That's my home state. So did you go on yes. location there or was that virtual? It was virtual, but I did go uh, in the first uh, uh, month just for orientation and back for graduation. I just love it there. Yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't live there, but I love it there. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about the new project that's cooking up Montessori on Wheels. Yes, Manas are on wheels. Are you not even surprised that again is something traveling? On wheels? <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Yeah. So Manas on wheels is really a passion project. If ever there's anything like that, you know, I feel like people say that a lot, right? When they're like really involved in something that they're working on. But I really think that this is something that really speaks to uh, my identity, my experiences in Manasari, and uh, the way in which I had experienced Manasari uh, in the past 14 years. So it almost felt like, oh, that really brought me to um, Manasari on wheels. Uh, so like I said, you know, I got introduced to Manasari in Beijing, in China, where I taught for about seven years. Then I moved here and I was working in Boulder, uh, Colorado and Denver for the past uh, seven years. Yes. Yeah. Seven Gosh. and seven. <laughs> Time. <laughs> seven year cycles. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it is indeed seven year cycles, right? And, uh, one thing that sort of happened just before the pandemic in 2019 was I started thinking, um, ways in which I really wanted to, uh, bring access, uh, you know, and, and really make sure that I also bring Manasar education to people who looked like me. You know, I, I'm in Colorado and mostly Montessori schools here, pretty much middle upper class and most uh, families and children that you end up uh, uh, in with them, uh, you know, like sort of like, you know, end up, I don't want to say teaching, you end up, you know, in schools with uh, pretty much white. They didn't look like me, they didn't have any experiences like I had had growing up or um, being here or around the world. So um, I really wanted to... Um, bring what I had enjoyed so much for the past 14 years uh, to communities of colors that didn't have access to Manasari. And I knew that uh, that was not going to happen in any uh, school setting. If anything, we had to move it outside school mm -hmm. so that we go into their communities, into their homes, mm -hmm. to their churches, to their local libraries, in spaces where they congregate or spaces where they had more power or where they felt more uh, confident uh, to welcome anyone who would want to like share something um, uh, with them. So um, that really came from that uh, understanding of if ever we are thinking of equity and access, yeah. uh, we, also, we also have to think about transportation because yeah. I think the practice that is just very prevalent in uh, school setup is that we come up with an idea of a school, we build a school, and then we expect parents to come to a school. We never think about uh, those that aren't yet ready to come to a school or not yet exposed uh, to the philosophy that may need more time to get to understand, to make those connections like I did when I was in Beijing. Um, so I really wanted to move Marasari, like literally be <laughs> out there on the street. Uh -huh. In a way, I think of myself as evangelizing Marasari, right? Yeah, like yeah. this is what she was doing, Maria mm -hmm. Marasari. She was going out there educating uh, educators. Um, so I think of myself as the same as being out there talking about Manasara, giving that uh, exposure and access so that um, they're able to choose and understand that they too um, are part of the Manasari story. They can see those connections. They can make those connections. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you get around? What's your, what's your vehicle for 
making your way to these communities. Elizabeth, we are literally <laughs> on wheels. <laughs> we have a bus. <laughs> I was in a fellowship uh, last summer here in Denver. Um, and uh, this was just a space where they brought educators around Denver to just um, share any ideas that they uh, have uh, or things that they wish would, you know, uh, we could implement or we should implement to change the landscape of education around Denver. So it was like a six week uh, fellowship. And um, so that's the time too, I was like sitting with this idea of how to move Manasari uh, education. So initially we didn't have the bus in mind. Um, mm-hmm. And I say we uh, in the sense that this is really by the community for the community. So I always use mm-hmm. the we. That is mm-hmm. not my own idea. Like mm-hmm. even I think of mm-hmm. myself uh, that my family, my ancestors who allowed me to get access to my sorry. So whenever I use the word, um, the, you know, when I use the we, I'm like really. The biggest uh, way. Mm-hmm. The biggest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so um, I, I was initially thinking about ways in which we can just move education from schools and we can do more outreach. And uh, in that fellowship, uh, I had uh, Bree Donnelly, who uh, is the executive for Joy as Resistance, which is a mental health uh, program that focuses um, on LGBTQ uh, high school students around Denver. So they initially had a bus that they wanted to use as a mental health clinic, but it didn't offer them the privacy that they wanted for the work that they were doing. So they ended up having two ambulances and having two mobile clinics. Um, so they had a bus and they just <sighs> fell in love with the idea of mm. a moving Manasari and they wanted to find a uh, beautiful uh, uh, space and place for the bus. So they gave us the bus uh, wow. to use uh, for Manasari on wheels. And then in that moment of just talking about getting the bus and having to use the bus for our programs, I really um, set with the idea of what the bus will mean to uh, to the communities, uh, to our BIPOC folks, especially thinking about most of our black and brown parents were bused out of their communities uh, to other schools. So uh, mm-hmm. the idea of education always that we have to send our kids somewhere where they get the education, right? Uh, like the school bus will take you to a school, to a learning space. But in this case, it's the reverse. Now the school mm-hmm. is coming to you. So uh-huh. it really sort of like, you know, um, uh, resonated with how I was thinking about what space I wanted to um, uh, co-create with the communities when kids got on the bus that they should be able to dream play and see the world as their learning space. So the bus Mm -hmm. then really has that uh, different story to tell about that you don't have to always think of the squares where you learn, but even in your community, even at home, even with your community uh, uh, friends or community leaders, um, the uncle down the street, uh, (laughs) that all those people are really invested in part of that uh, learning um, that our children should be exposed to or should be able to access all the time. So we got the bus and because it meant so much to me, uh, I was talking to my mom uh, about, you know, just moving Manasari and all what I was trying to do. And she said, I think what you're trying to do is really center stories. So your bus mm-hmm. should be Rungano, which means in Shona, uh, storytelling or a story, our stories. Mm-hmm. This whole philosophy uh, 
that, you know, the coin response African philosophy that you tell me a story, we tell our stories. We tell our stories, we have a story. So that's where I think we wanted to start with that if we are able to tap into the power of storytelling, what happens if we go into the communities and share our stories and then make those connections like, Already, this is exactly what we do in schools when we talk about Manasari, when we experience Manasari in schools uh, and make those connections. Mm. Um, so we got the bus and we named the bus Rungano so that we really focus in on uh, the power of storytelling. Knowing that in it too, we are also uh, focusing on mental health. Like when we talk, when we share our stories, uh, we're able to tap into vulnerability, right? So I think that's a place where we should start. If we ever we want the community or we want our black and brown kids and families uh, to um, show up and be more visible in Manasari uh, settings. Mm, I love the double meaning of that because storytelling is so important in Montessori, especially in elementary. It's all around captivating the interest of the learner through the story, right, and these impressionistic lessons. But then mm -hmm. also really capturing the piece about how each individual has their story and what happens when right. we talk story with each other um, and that, that vulnerability that you mentioned and how does that mm -hmm. sometimes heal to just be right. able to say what the story is and to have a safe place to reveal or even come in touch with your story yourself by talking to somebody else. So maybe right. the bus did serve its mental health purpose after all. In some right, ways. exactly. I think that's the connection that we see, you know, that, you know, it came from joyous resistance. So it was yeah. really a bus that came with so much <laughs> joy. And <laughs> and we're able to do uh, the best way we can in Manasari, you know, uh, spaces with kids just like tapping into uh, storytelling. Mm. And also with it too, you know, Elizabeth, one thing that I think that I also need to highlight, you know, you just made me think about this as you were talking about the double meaning of the bus and, you know, even the power of storytelling that um, also with it too, we're thinking about what happens if we redefine what a teacher is, right? Yeah. Or who the teacher is, right? Because I think in most traditional settings, a teacher is someone who's always have to uh, teach, impact the knowledge, right? So there's always this linear way of, uh, uh, of learning. Right. It right? has the but, most power and is the teller and the filler, right? All those sort of false ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So we really thought intentionally about weaving the storytelling in the role of a teacher. Mm. Like you're there to listen to all these stories that these children are bringing in your space or in the space, right? And then you help them yeah. tell a story of, you know, how they learn and what they're learning, the concept that they're learning. But starting with storytelling, like if you tap into who they are and who you are and creating those relationships, uh, before we can, you know, start guiding that learning. But even not thinking about before we start, because already it's happening as we start talking and start sharing, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so beautiful. I feel Montessori is like cheering there to see that manifestation of that theory, right? That idea right. about centering the child and their story and their unique story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the whole idea of follow the child to let them emerge and take up the space. Mm. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm also just empowered with, uh, you know, Parker Palmer's words that, you know, you cannot teach what you are not, right? Yeah. So that's why I think, you know, if you, um, I read more about the work that we do at Marathon Wheels Fungano is that most of it is really not far removed from our experiences, from my experiences, for anyone who's going to be part of the bus. We, um, we really, we intentional in, uh, making sure that they, 
there are those connections and that those connections are what we are centering as we uh, uh, create spaces and uh, engage our black and brown uh, families and kids um, in any learning space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that brings the next thought about the resources that are available um, when you when you connect with the communities. What are the resources you're bringing? Yeah, so we um so we are very very dynamic. We are very different in the sense that we are not a moving classroom. I think that's one thing that I hear a mm-hmm. lot when I talk to people who are very curious and they're so excited about Marathon on Wheels. They think of it as the magic school bus, right? Or maybe there's a classroom <laughs> that's, you know, <laughs> going around a Marathon classroom. Um but it, we are not a classroom, so we are very intentional again in the ways in which we designed the bus. I don't know if you've seen the bus design. Oh yeah, beautiful! Um, oh my god, beautiful! Goodness. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we want it to be uh, a space that they feel like it's home at the same time, offer that learning opportunities for them. So it's also like really, uh, in a way, a classroom that's embedded in a living space. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want them to walk in and think about that they're in a classroom because we uh, we were coming from uh, knowledge in. Uh, of most of our black and brown uh, families, you know, the way that they experience education uh, in their own uh, 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 days of going to school and even now just sending their kids, there's just so much oppression, so much uh, lack of trust and we wanted a space that they would feel like this is their space, some, somewhere where they can sit and feel uh, more empowered to share and talk and um, co-create with others, uh, ways in which they would want their kids to um, uh, to learn and uh, to be in front of adults who are also interested in what they have to uh, share and unlearn. Um, so the design of the bus is one of the resources that's already there available for them that it is designed in, in the sense of how can we design for belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that when they walk in, uh, what are they going to feel? When they walk out, what are they going to take with them um, back to their homes, back to their communities, and back to their um, uh, churches, library, wherever they go, uh, if they come in contact with us. So we have the bus initially as that uh, space that is intentionally designed for them to be able to uh, ad- uh, sort of like attract them. So it is an in, <laughs> like the way we do materials, right? They're supposed to call to the child. So we wanted the bus to also like uh, be parked in a community in front of a church, in front of a library, in front of a school and have them come naturally mm-hmm. to like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Knowing that for us, that's a data entry point that we want that they've, you know, they've, you know, they've moved themselves into the bus to ask or to see what's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there we are. Right. <laughs> so, um, so we have like four distinct uh, programs within the bus. The first one being the community school partnership that we have. So we work with schools around uh, Denver and DPS um, and organizations that are already embedded in the communities doing the work already um, to enrich uh, some of uh, what's there already. Because uh, I think also the knowledge that I was coming with in this um, uh, design process was um, most parents had uh, said that they didn't have access to Manasari because they didn't go to a Manasari school. Mm-hmm. So access and uh, opportunity was really uh, shared in reference to not having had to go to a Manasari school or send their uh, kids to a Manasari school. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wanted them to have the experience. You don't really have to have a full-blown Manasari school to say that you have had access to Manasari school, but you can have the experience of what it is. I've come in contact with Manasari. I've learned 
uh, areas of learning in Montessori uh, uh, environments. So we partner with uh, schools, traditional schools, where we bring uh, that exposure to um, to kids already in, uh, enrolled in public schools. Uh, we have a good, strong partnership with the DPS here in schools around DPS. Um, so we are bringing that exposure to the kids who are in schools and to the parents who are sending those kids uh, to schools. So they get to experience Montessori that way. So they might walk into a bus and they get to see math materials. So they get to learn how we really do math uh, in Manasari and how kids learn when they can interact and like can manipulate uh, something to be able to count, to be able to do multiplication, division, right? Knowing that that experience is going to give them more confidence or more opportunities to then choose Manasari because we know that in our black and brown communities, they cannot choose what they're not exposed to. So the first mm -hmm. thing to do is that exposure that here it is like I did in Beijing in 2008. I was invited to see Manasari. Then yeah. I was able to choose it for myself because I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. I could make those connections. So you could say like low key first, you know, I experience with the bus is just to like get to explore and see what's there and what is this, ask questions. Um, and within that, we have a second program that came from that, uh, initial program where then when we did, when we piloted this program last year, most, uh, schools and, uh, parents asked if we could do intervention through a Montessori approach. Mm -hmm. Like what if our kids don't, uh, you know, don't go into the hallways with, an, you know, with the <laughs> teacher, right? Yeah. What if they come from a classroom into another space that also reignites their love of learning, that also just support who they are and then mm. just, you know, mm. have a space where they can like learn more and like really be supported. So they asked for it and we said, yes, mm -hmm. we will come mm -hmm. and do intervention through a Montessori approach, um, which I think was, um, a very good idea that you know, really, um, set well with our design that the bus then doesn't have to have the whole Manasara classroom yeah. set up, but it yeah. can only have the materials that we are using with the child or with the children who are, you know, uh, maybe seeking more guidance uh, on literacy, how to read, how to write or math. Um, so we have that. And then the other, um, uh, the other program, which was the initial program before we had the bus was just to, uh, go into the communities and, um, set up Montessori, uh, uh, spaces, uh, in a park. Uh, this is exactly what we did when we, when we did Palatine. We were just driving, um, my car with a friend and would set up a Montessori classroom, uh, uh, in a park. And so we have that, you know, set up for them. And again, even for people who would walk by, would just like see what it is and then they'll come next time to ask. Um, so, so we have the, what we call Manasari experience, uh, through Manasari Wheels, where they get to really experience the whole areas of Manasari, um, classroom. So we'd set up, um, three or four materials from each, uh, area of learning, um, mm -hmm. and they get to experience that. And the other one is the parent child, uh, collaboration, where we, uh, come in with the strength knowledge of, um, parents as teachers, mm. that you are your child's teacher. Mm. You don't have to wait for your uh, 
teacher to send that first email that, hey, I'm your child teacher, right? You can also <laughs> come and say, hey, I am the parent of this child. I'm the caregiver of this child, right? I can tell you what I know, how they learn best, who they are. And then the teacher will then tell you what they have experienced with your child at school so that we can really build those partnerships for yeah. engagement. Because I think one thing that came from our um, uh, from, uh, you know, talking to parents from our empathy interviews and discovery interviews was that most parents didn't feel valued, right? Mm. That they also mm. knew their child, right? Mm. Mostly they were given things to do at home without having to be welcome to, uh, you know, you know, also share how they experience their child at home, what they know about their child. Mm. Uh, so if ever we were going to do any culturally responsive and respectful, um, uh, you know, ways of teaching or instruction. They really wanted, uh, educators and schools to really tap into also the knowledge that's already embedded in the community, be it with parents or be it with community leaders who really understand where these kids are coming from, where they live, what has happened to, um, you know, where they're living. Like literally again, the power of storytelling, right? Like mm-hmm. we have experienced them first. We know mm-hmm. who they are. Right. Mm-hmm. You, we are trusting mm-hmm. you to then have them. And what have you seen with them? What can we do both to, um, work in the uh, interest of the child to create space? Which again, we, we're thinking how that fits very well in Minnesota, the respect of the child, you know, the way we think of the child, the environment and the adult, like how we are all connecting that and creating an environment where a child is fully supported. So we also wanted to create. Uh, a space where teachers would also understand that these kids or these children are coming from these communities where they have the knowledge, right, of who they are. Um, and they also had to tap into that as well to learn where they're coming from and who they are and invite parents to share uh, some of that with them. Um, so um, we have that where we have parents um, uh, organize themselves. So usually what happened when we did piloting, we had three parents who then invited their friends to come. So we then thought like, what if we have parents who then invite their friends to come and they become important and then they get to have like Saturday for 30 or an hour uh, with us on the bus. So we have slots where they organize mm-hmm. themselves. So mm-hmm. we didn't want to organize it ourselves thinking that uh, we don't have uh uh, we don't have any data or any research that share that that shows that if we do five lessons or five sessions, that's enough th- to prepare them to then understand Montessori. But they come as many times as they want until mm. they feel like they really have a grasp or an understanding or a connection of what Montessori is, who their child is, how they learn best, and how to advocate for their children in schools. Um, so they're very open-ended, which is very beautiful that... Um, it is really respectful of their time, also understanding that not everybody has access to the same time every time, every week, every month. Mm-hmm. So um, they could come, when they come, we meet them where they are at and we, because uh, it, it, it is the same uh, learning that we're just sharing with them so it doesn't change. And if they don't come next Tuesday, they come next and still be in that math uh, cohort where we're just talking about math materials, we're just talking about language materials, we're just working on their fine motor skills, their hand dexterity, and all of that. Mm. Okay, I'm taking notes. There's so much in here that you're talking about. I'm realizing this is going to air um, at the front of August as like educators are coming back and preparing their classrooms and preparing their minds for the coming year, right? And it's oftentimes yeah. a great 
opportunity for a new beginning. What will I do differently that will have a greater impact? And there's four things that I wrote down that you really called out. One is a space designed around belonging. So what if every monastery educator who was coming back thought about their classroom or their school, say they're a head of school, how do we design spaces that are designed around belonging? That's so powerful, right? To think about yes. that for, for every learner, every family member, every school-based adult that walks in, they feel this is their place. They belong here. There's a book, uh, written by, uh, Susie Wise, uh, out of, uh, Harvard, um, School of Design. Um, that's, you know, be- uh, designing for belonging. Mm. So she talks so much about how do we create spaces for belonging. Mm. So, so much of that also came oh, from uh, reading her text and also then piloting some of uh, that uh, as it relates to the way we were designing um, Marasar on Wheels. Mm-hmm. The next thing you said that jumped out as I'm thinking about educators returning is like the image of the classroom set up in the park in the shade and that sort of magic mm-hmm. of invitation. Right, that we're creating these environments that are so inviting that we feel compelled to go over and find out what's happening over there. Right. So like, what if there was this, not only this feeling of belonging, but also this sense of invitation and like it's activating my curiosity because it's so beautiful. I could, I, I can, I feel like I could see it under the trees even before right. I share the photo of it. Right. Just the idea of walking along and seeing it. Um, and then the third thing is about honoring families and what they bring as the child's first teacher. And what's the way we're starting out in our open house where we're, we're wanting to hear from and, get, you know, connect with families. And how does that act as a through line all the way through so that families coming in feel that sense of being, I don't want to use the word like expert on their child, but like, yeah, the central holder of information, especially as we're talking about first plane of development of what's their child's experience been. Um, and that I think all, every educator, every, everyone across schools could do a better job communicating that clearly to families from the get go. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And parents want to share their kids with us. Yeah. Yes. They want to tell us <laughs> who they are, why they gave them those names. Right. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. fun for parents to share that. I think that just what makes their world right when they're able to just yeah. share because every parent thinks that the kid is the best. Right. So we <laughs> tap into that and use that as mm-hmm. our first observation. Like, what do mm-hmm. we know about this child? Right. Mm-hmm. And then we experience their child in the environment and we're able to share that when we do conferences. Like, like this is what mm-hmm, I've learned mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. about your child. And, you know, then they share what they know about their child or what they're, you know, are learning about their child at home. Mm-hmm, so I really mm-hmm. think that that's powerful if we're able to, like, start our school year with um, reaching out to parents and mm-hmm. partnering with them mm-hmm. as a way to really think about how they're going to engage with us throughout the school year. And also one thing, too, that you shared, uh, I want to highlight more on um, the design of the school, having it outside. Um, you know, one thing that I also experienced, you know, uh, in teaching uh, in different classrooms around the world is that education nowadays is as a teacher, you walk into a school, you get into your classroom, you close the, yeah. you know, the door. It is your environment. What happens if we leave those doors open? Right. If there's that just yes. like open space where others yes. can come 
and mm-hmm. and, and observe mm-hmm. um where kids know that they are not just in these uh spaces that are closed right out yes. that they also yes. can access the world they can also see the world as their mm-hmm. uh learning space so we really wanted on wheels uh for the bus for the kids to hop on the bus and not just feel like they're in this bus but also like to look outside and see uh, learning happening everywhere mm-hmm. and where they can also learn opportunities that are just like embedded in their community um, or around their school community if we are working mm-hmm. within the school. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. The last thing I wrote down is the idea about that you're doing about family education. Um, and what I really got when I was listening to you talk that I think is very unique, especially in public Montessori schools, is this idea of having an open format that meets the families are as unique as their children, right? So offering it on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7.30 isn't going to work for everyone in the community. And if that's your family education for the whole year, it's four Wednesdays from 6 to 7.30, we're, that's not an open format. So figuring out how schools could massage that um, to make it a format that would work for all of the variety of families they serve. Um, and I love the idea of people being able to come back as many times until they feel that feeling of connection, um, the sense of things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And that came from my experience working at Stedman Elementary School here in Denver under the leadership of uh, Mr. Mike Mm -hmm. Atkins. You know, he always challenged us as teachers uh, to think about um, what else can I do differently? Because it's always easy for teachers to think about parents not engaging, like, yes. you know, what yes. they should do, you know, what they're not doing. Mm-hmm. But as an educator, mm-hmm. what are you doing differently so that mm-hmm. she, we get to them, right? Yes. And, you know, we get, we get them in or we, you know, we go to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, he really was, um, uh, very instrumental in ways in which I, thought of um what else can i do mm-hmm. <laughs> right to keep me thinking about ways in which i can offer access if um if i'm doing parent-teacher conferences uh can i do them over a week right mm-hmm. uh can mm-hmm. i how can i be more flexible with my time mm-hmm. also thinking about uh you know when, when you become a teacher you, you really you're there to serve right mm-hmm. uh so mm-hmm. while we're on this topic do you have other thoughts for educators heading back into the classroom not on wheels in Montessori spaces across the world for ways in which we can bring some of what you've learned by doing Montessori on wheels into the Montessori schools. Yes, yes. And I'm going to start with this because I know you will relate to this very well. There was a time, Elizabeth, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you went to school in elementary, you, you know, you would walk to school, either you mm-hmm. or your parents walk to school and they would interact with their neighbors, with that local, uh, you know, uh, little shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like there was just so many stops as you walked to school and as you came back from school. But now we have this, uh, situation where we have kids in their parents' cars, they drop them, they pick them up. There isn't any connection with learning between home and school. Like it's almost as if, you know, there's this invisible experience where nothing exists between home and mm. school. And one thing that I just want to share with um, teachers is that if you're able to connect what's available in your school community and bring mm. that so that they know that it's not only in your environment where learning is happening, but we can bring someone you know, um, you know, in your community who can come and talk about um, 
about Africa, right? Because they're from Africa when you're studying about African continent, right? Or you can have someone um, who can come and talk about, um, who can do more like practical life uh, with you and maybe who they, they do crochet, or maybe they mm. need, or maybe um, like how do, how do they use their hands, right? So that kids get to see hands working yeah. and why it is important to exercise our hands and all that. So really thinking through like what's embedded in our community that we can also bring so that we can also show uh, our children that learning is also happening mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere, right? Not just in our own yeah. space. Cause I think we don't want them to live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. We don't want them to only think of manners what is happening in this beautiful classroom, but also this translate into everyday life. Everything that you see out there is what's happening mm-hmm. here. Like you walk is even if in your, in your own car, you see other cars, you're seeing numbers, mm-hmm. you know, which number do you see? I spy this. You see letters, sounds, phonetics, like everything is outside the classroom too. So really being able to connect, um, your, your your classroom environment with what's outside, what's in the community and what's in their lived experience that's not just in mm-hmm. this Manasari um, classroom. Yeah, so maybe bringing down some of the sort of false mental barriers that we have around the work that we mm-hmm. do to have it be more expansive and therefore creating more access. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Because we don't want to have children who go to Manasari to think that they, you know, uh that this was an exclusive experience for them, right? Like, oh, it happened when I went to that Manasari school, right? Not knowing that it was also happening at home. Mm-hmm. You just didn't know that was Manasari. <laughs> you were doing this at home. People are doing this mm-hmm. at home, right? Mm-hmm. You don't only get to like, you know, use your body to learn at school. You know, they're in other cultures, in other communities where learning happens when they move, when they're using their senses, when, you know, um, so really making sure that we, again, we are removing those false barriers, right? Like, how are we really taking this outside mm-hmm. and thinking outside, as they say, outside the box, but you know, outside the classrooms. <laughs> outside the box. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, yeah. This has been really wonderful. I wonder if um, you close by just sharing the values that you have um, so beautifully uh-huh. stated. And we we have a link to the website in the show notes. But I was just really taken right. by the language in your in your value statement. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna highlight the Ubuntu uh, value. Um, because I think it's one thing that resonates with what the work that we're doing that, you know, what we do, we also see that in the, uh, uh, in the families that we work with, in the children that we work mm-hmm. with, that, you know, we see each other. We're not exclusive to say like, I'm the one who knows because I've been trained as a Montessori mm-hmm. educator. We also value that they are educators. They have so much knowledge that they have to share with us that we could also use. Uh, in the knowledge that we have as Manasarians. So really tapping into what it means to be in community with each mm-hmm. other, that, um, we are an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, in, you know, in African, uh, you know, culture, we believe that, um, you know, we educate the child so that they know their role in the community, like how they contribute to the greater community. So as they work on this, on, on themselves, they're also working to work on how that will help, uh, everyone else. Um, so we really want to uh, partner with parents and children to really um, see the value in what they're doing and what we're doing together as what 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 it's had what it's helping with the community, and of course there's just love and joy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like we want to do this uh, uh, and just have fun with it. It's a buzz. Mm-hmm. 
children love buses. <laughs> Who doesn't love a bus, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so there's so much, you know, fun stuff. Uh, that we have on the bus, we are not just like tracing some paper letters or you know, um, uh, you know, counting spindle boxes, uh, spindles. Uh, we are really also uh, we have music, we have art, uh, we have storytelling, um, uh, which I think is just you know, I think most kids come for that. Mm-hmm. And then once we you know finish playing uh, soccer with them, we then sit for like thirty minutes and like, hey. Let's just talk about reading, right? Let's read this book. So we then give uh, them an opportunity to also learn something after they've moved their body, after they've enjoyed something that they love doing. Uh, we were just thinking of ways in which we can tap into their joy mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. so that knowing that once we've activated that, then anything else is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then freedom just to yeah. be, right? Like uh, they can do access monastery education mm-hmm. that is not exclusive to only white folks or to middle upper class, that this is the story of everyone right i you know i believe that this is the story of my people mm-hmm. honestly i see myself in this and i want everybody to see themselves you know be it latinx be it asian be it anybody should be able to see their story within mana so i think that's the beauty of it that it really is cross-cultural mm-hmm. that you see yourself in ways in which you were raised and in which you do uh uh you, you live right um mm-hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you captured the joy and the freedom, um, which is just two words that um, a lot of people don't associate with schools. Uh, uh, when we mm-hmm. were piloting, when we were uh, talking to parents and trying to understand uh, how much they understand about Montessori, if ever they make those connections, one thing that came up a lot in our conversations with parents uh, was that they talked about Montessori schools and the and their fancy materials. So there was that connection that, you know, mm. they were fancy materials, so they're expensive, right. so we cannot right. afford to send our kids to those schools. So we then thought of like, what happens if we dissect those materials, if we extract the elements that are in the pink tower that makes learning, you know, so natural and exciting for kids to learn about size, visually discriminate size, right? And then give them those elements to think about what is it that they have at home that can also support that learning, uh, to, you know, to acquire the skills mm. to discriminate size. So one of the things that we do is really like take one material and dissect the material, talk about the elements, talk about what attracts the child, what else at home that we have that have those same elements that we can use. Um, as again, to remove those mm-hmm. barriers that you don't really have to have the monastery materials to do this yes. work. You might already have yes. in them, right? Uh, yeah. So we have the pink tower at school, but right. we don't have to have a pink tower at home. No, <laughs> we have so many things mm-hmm. that are different mm-hmm. size that we can uh, classify. Um, and of course, we know that there's also, uh, you know, that, you know, the, uh, the materialized abstraction of those, you know, uh, um, materials in sensoria right like moving from the abstract mm-hmm. to the concrete like really helping them understand like how mm-hmm. do we really make those connections and give them those like, concrete experiences mm. thank you for adding that i don't think we could have closed our conversation about material needs and spiritual needs without featuring economic needs right that right that there's there's like that third invisible piece um and how do we bring that yeah. barrier down so that we're we're we get to be all together Thanks so much for taking your time to be on the show. Really appreciate it. No, this was fun. Thank you for talking to me. Our show is a project of Public Montessori in Action, elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade, 
Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.